The reading this morning is from the first book of Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see as people do. People look according to the outward appearance, but the Lord looks according to the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all of your, all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. I wonder how you make uh, decisions, how you make choices. Let's take something trivial. Um, Shopping. Uh, Are you uh, an impulse buyer? You're one of those people who, uh, you don't go shopping uh, with a list, uh, but if something catches your eye, if it looks good, you grab it. One of those people who, those yellow stickers, sucker you in. If Tesco's have discounted it, oh yeah, I'll buy that. You buy an impulse on appearances, short term. And, and if you are like that, my guess is, you probably end up getting home thinking, oh, I meant, I meant to get such and such and I got distracted. Uh, it probably means you live in a house that is quite cluttered, because you bought loads of things you never intended to buy. Uh, maybe you're an impulse buyer. Uh, maybe you are um, what people in kind of marketing call an optimizer, the other end of the spectrum. So you're one of those people who, if you're going to buy something, you, um, you get all the consumer reports, you check all the reviews online. You want to make absolutely sure that this thing you're going to buy does what you want it to do, that it's reliable, that it's the best thing of its kind. And having established that you've got exactly the right thing, you then go on all the price comparison websites to make sure you've not just got the best product, but the best choice. You're an optimizer. And if that's you, you probably don't have a very full house. 
Um, but when you buy things, you're probably more prone to then getting home and thinking, did I get the best product at the best price? Did I miss out on a deal somewhere? Get a bit of anxiety as to whether or not you have optimised. Two different ways of making decisions on uh, what you buy. See about bigger uh, life decisions. Uh, what about, say, uh, buying a house? Uh, when you buy a house, uh, I suppose first impressions count for a lot, don't they? So uh, all these makeover shows and everything else, they tell you, get, get rid of your photos and give it a lick of paint and stuff so that when people come in, it, it looks nice. Uh, appearances count for something, but when, when you're buying a house, uh, you want to go beyond appearances. That's why you get a surveyor in to kind of prod and, and probe and make sure that this house that looks good on the outside is, is structurally sound on the inside because uh, if you're buying a house, you want it to last. Uh, so appearances aren't enough there. Uh, and I guess if you're buying a house because it's kind of a long-term thing, you may be looking out sort of 5, 10, 20, 50 years, um, you're also looking beyond your immediate circumstances. Uh, so you might well uh, settle on uh, a house, you're looking for it, you think, okay, this works well for my commute today, or uh, it, it works for whatever reason in, in where I am in my life now. But if you're buying a house, you're probably looking a bit further ahead as well, thinking, actually, uh, is this going to work if my career takes a particular direction and I have to work somewhere else? Is this still going to work for me? Uh, if I have kids or my kids grow to be a certain age, is there a school, is there space for them, is there whatever? If, if I'm getting uh, on in years, is this going to put me somewhere which is near my family so they can be a support to me uh, as I get more elderly? There'll be all kinds of long-term things you think about uh, before buying a house. It's a big decision, isn't it? Uh, and some of us will know uh, that experience of you buy a house and then uh, perhaps six months or a year or a couple of years in, uh, things have changed... And, and you're thinking, oh, if only I'd known then what I know now. If only I'd known then what I know now, I would never have bought it. I would have, I would have lived somewhere else. I see another uh, big decision in life. Uh, some of us would have encountered the decision to, to get married or, or not to get married. Similar thing goes. Uh, it's, it's a long-term commitment, hopefully. Uh, so you're not just looking to present circumstances. Well, this is a bit of a laugh, let's get married. Hopefully there's more going on than that. You're looking out. Again, kind of, I'm, I'm looking at kind of folks who just celebrated their one-year anniversary. More than just a bit of a laugh. Um, looking at five, ten, at twenty years, thinking, okay, how's this going to play out? Uh, we might be having loads of fun together now, but if one of us wants to uh, move and spend the rest of their life in Vancouver, how's that going to play for the other person? If one person wants to go off and be a missionary in the deepest, darkest, wherever... How's that going to play out? So you've got to look over the long term and be thinking, okay, is this going to work? Uh, again, I suppose because it's a long-term thing, you're looking at beyond appearances. Most of us here, if we're married, no longer look the way we looked in our marriage photos. Uh, we've got hair where we didn't have it before. We've lost hair where we once had it. We, yeah, don't need to go into too much detail. We're not who we were. Uh, and because our appearances change, it's important to look beyond appearances in that, isn't it? To look at character, to look at Christian commitments, to look at all kinds of things that go beyond mere appearances. Uh, that's how we work when it comes to big uh, decisions in life. Uh, you might be here this morning, you might be uh, just a visitor or, or somebody's guest, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. It's worth saying, 
The decision to become a Christian is that kind of a decision. Insofar as if the claims of the Christian faith are true, then it completely changes your future, your eternal future. So it's not something you do want to win. Actually, you want to look beyond appearances uh, to who this guy Jesus really is. Uh, You want to plan, as it were, for the long term. Be thinking, okay, what impact is this going to have on my life? How, How is this going to play through? What are the implications? It's a big deal. Uh, And so it's a decision that you don't want to enter into. uh, Like, when it comes to big decisions, we want to look beyond appearances. You want to look beyond uh, immediate circumstances and quick fixes. Uh, This morning we're in uh, 1 Samuel 16, and we're looking at how God makes a big decision. Uh, If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll know, as it were, the story so far. Um, There's an opening now for a king in Israel. Uh, Saul had been the king, but he's been uh, rejected. And so there's an opening for the job, and it's an important job. Uh, The king is to be God's agent, uh, extending God's reign, not replacing him, acting for him, directed by the word of God, empowered uh, by the spirit of God to do uh, the will of God, bring the blessing of God to his people. Now, how is God going to fill the job? Is he going to look uh, deep beyond appearances? Is he going to look to the long term or just to immediate circumstances? Uh, It matters at this time to the people of Israel because they've just had a pretty mixed experience with Saul. How's God going to choose? Is he going to go for a kind of uh, caretaker manager, if you like? Just a short term fix to see them to the end of the season. Or is he going to go for somebody who's going to be there to last? Somebody who is going to build God's projects for him? How's this going to go? Let's have a look together. Let's pick things up uh, at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Get up, fill your horn with oil, uh, be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen... A king for myself from among his sons. God's chosen his God. That word there, chosen, um, is actually the word for see. I put it in blue because it pops up quite a lot in this. It's, this is about how God sees, how God chooses. He's seen uh, the man he wants uh, in Jesse's family. And so off goes Samuel, uh, and uh, he goes to Bethlehem, uh, the town of Jesse, um, And we see then how it is that God chooses his king. There's two things I want us to see uh, together this morning. The first is this. Uh, God sees beyond appearances uh, into the human heart. We're going to be spending most of our time in verses uh, 6 and 7. Here we are. Samuel uh, gets there and um, he looks at uh, Eliab. He sees him and apparently he's judging by outward appearances. He's sure Eliab is the guy. Because he looks good. And the clues uh, around that are there in verse 7. Apparently his appearance, his height, everything else, he's outwardly impressive. We're thinking, this guy, surely he's the king. Now, the last bloke we met who was outwardly impressive and tall was Saul. And that didn't work out brilliantly. So, (coughs) there's cause for just wariness here, isn't there? Well, God says to Samuel, no. No, he's not my guy. Don't consider his appearance or his height. I've rejected him. 
He's rejected him, just like in the last chapter he rejected Saul. Uh, why, we think, on what basis has this man been rejected? The second half of uh, verse 7 tells us. Uh, see, the Lord does not see as people do. People look according to the outward appearance, but the Lord looks according to the hearts. Now, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about the organ that pumps blood around our bodies. It talks about kind of the, the centre of our affections. It's what we love, it's how, where our wills are, how we decide things. Your heart is kind of what makes you you. It's the kind of centre of the person. And so it seems there's something about Eliab's heart here that disqualifies him from being king. God sees beyond appearances uh, to the human heart. Now, just by way of an aside for us, that is sobering, isn't it, I think? Uh, God sees our hearts. He sees our thoughts. He sees our motives. Uh, He sees uh, how we uh, choose to, to do things. He sees what we love and what we hate. He sees all of that. See, the reality is we can fool one another. We can fool one another quite easily on a Sunday morning, put on quite a good show for two hours. Who's to know that since we left the building uh, this time last week, we've not given God a moment's thought. Who's to know? We can put on a pretty good act. Outward appearances, oh, we can do those. We can fool people. But God, we see here, he's not fools. God sees our hearts. He knows that they're more complex. He knows that even though we may have done great things this week, there will be all sorts of things that we wouldn't want anyone to know about. God sees and he knows. That's sobering for us, that we can't fool him. But actually, in this context, it's really good news that when God is choosing the king for his people... He can't be fooled by appearances. I remember when I was in the sixth form, a teacher took uh, three or four of us off for an afternoon to interview for a summer job with some mate of his. It was kind of a stitch-up, I think. Um, But the four of us had our interviews and we came back on the train. uh, And one of the guys, Fred, um, basically was just boasting in the train on the way home about how he had lied. How he talked about this great experience he had of working in office, all these things he'd done, and how he just made the whole thing up. But he lied really well. And those people were fooled. Because that evening the phone call came back and we found out which of the fours had got the job and it was Fred. Now they didn't get what they were expecting because he'd, he'd lied. He'd put on an act. But they were fools. The, the people in that interview are pointing to that job. They, they couldn't see Fred's heart. Now, that's not the end of the world when it comes to a, a, a four-week summer job, uh, a kind of teenager doing whatever teenagers do in offices, photocopying and making tea, I guess. Uh, not the end of the world if you don't get quite the person you were hoping for. Uh, some of us will have had that experience working in teams where uh, somebody gets hired and you kind of think, okay, we were kind of duped a bit in the interview there. We've not quite got the person we wanted. And it's a bit painful and it's a bit costly, but it's not the end of the world. The stakes are a bit higher when it comes to uh, the king of God's people, the one who's to rescue them and to keep them safe. You want to know that God gets his guard. The encouragement here is God sees beyond appearances to the human heart. He's not going to be fooled uh, the way that we're fooled. Uh, but there's another uh, encouragement here. Second thing I want us to see, and we're still in verse 7. 
God sees beyond immediate circumstances and out of his heart. It's a bit more complicated. Look with me again uh, at the end of verse 7 there. Uh, The Lord does not see as people do. People look according to the outward appearance, but the Lord looks according to the hearts. It's it's clear, isn't it? There's two ways of looking, two ways of seeing are being contrasted here. But the way the contrast works actually is quite complicated. Uh, It comes down to how you understand that little phrase, according to. Uh, Now, in the Hebrew, it can mean one of two things. It can mean at. So, uh, we look at the outside. uh, God looks at at the heart. We've thought about that. Uh, But it can also mean from or in line with, according to. Uh, So it it also has that idea of uh, God sees according to his heart. He sees in line with his heart, whereas we merely see in line with uh, immediate appearances. Uh, The point being made, God sees uh, beyond the immediate circumstances uh, and out of his heart. Uh, God sees, if you like, in line with his character, his purposes, uh, his will. So the contrast here is in uh, God's ability to see the consequences of his choices. Does that make sense? Uh, If you glance down at Samuel here, uh, he, if you like, is uh, the best we could hope for from a human being in making choices. So God told him in verse 1, go to Jesse in Bethlehem. So he does. Uh, God tells him in verse 3, you're to anoint the one that I'm going to indicate to you. Great. Off he goes. He sees Eliab. Now Samuel's done everything right. He's in the right place at the right time, in front of the right sons from the right family. And he sees this guy, he looks outwardly impressive, and he thinks, right, this is the guy. He's not done anything wrong, he's not being foolish. God says, no. No, no, you've got the wrong guy. Uh, I've not chosen Eliab. Now at this point, there's no way that Samuel could know God's purposes, God's plans for David and his family. He's sitting there, he's saying, well, we've seen all seven sons. He's at a loss as to why none of them have been chosen. He's judging by immediate appearances. He's judging by circumstances. He doesn't have the full sweep of God's purposes in view. And yet... We know, if we've read on in the Bible, that God's heart, his plans, his purposes for this son of Jesse extend well beyond his lifetime. He's going to fold this eighth, youngest, smallest son into the big, sweeping arc of his purposes for human history. He's going to promise that through this uh, boy David will come one day a greater son who will be king forever of everywhere. Samuel can't possibly know that. He's got this blinkered view. He just—he can only see the circumstances. He needs God to reveal all of this to him. And he will. See, God is making his choice based on vastly greater information, a vastly greater perspective out of his heart. Turns out God, in choosing David, doesn't do a kind of quick fix. There's no hint of a, a caretaker manager here. His choices aren't driven by circumstances or appearances. There's been loads in the media uh, this week, and there will continue to be, I guess, around the whole EU referendum. It's uh, hilarious. Uh, towards the start of the week, 
uh, one camp, I think it was guys who wanted us to stay in, uh, were pointed to some economic forecast that says, right, if we leave the EU, we're going to be umpteen gazillion billion poorer. And the other side, who wanted us to, to leave, just went, well, all of your forecasts are wrong. They've always been wrong. You've never got it right. Why should we listen to this one? Now, I suspect they're rather overlooking the fact that all the ones that they're pointing to and banking on, the same could be said of. All these economic forecasts looking out 10 or 20 years, who knows? Who's to say? There's so much conjecture, these guys, they don't know. Nobody knows with clarity that far ahead. So the reality is when we make all these big choices, and I guess the decision whether or not to stay in, it's a big choice, can we know that it's best for our kids or our grandkids or our great-grandkids? It's a choice we've got to make with humility, I guess with a certain amount of hope, but we don't know. We don't really see beyond pretty immediate circumstances. We may well find ourselves in a position where in 10 or 20 or 30 years' time we're saying, if only, if only we'd known then what we know now, we'd have chosen differently. That may happen. God sees out of his heart. He sees out of his perfect uh, knowledge, his perfect wisdom. He sees out of the grand sweep of his plans that extend from beginning to end, we've sung already this morning. His plans envelop all of human history. So when he looks at David and he says, verse 12, anoint him, he is the one. He knows. He knows he's got the man that he wants. He knows this is the guy who's going to carry forward the purposes of his heart. God never goes, if only I'd known then what I know now, because God knew then. God has always known. There's no quick fixes with him. And what that means is, he's really good when it comes to choosing kings. Because he's not doing it for the short term. He's not doing it with incomplete knowledge. He knows. He chooses well. What does that matter for us today? A couple of, couple of ways it matters. It matters, I think, for how we see Jesus. If we just focus for a minute on the, the aspect of the contrast which looks at how we normally see, we normally see by appearances. And there's a danger then that we will look at Jesus and we will stop at his mere appearance. Maybe we'll see his miracles, maybe we'll see a bit of good teaching, and we'll go no further than that. It's interesting, 400 years later, the prophet Isaiah would speak of his uh, his suffering servant who we know as Jesus and say there was nothing about his appearance to attract him to us. A king who comes in humility and dies on a cross doesn't attract people by his appearance. Uh, We need to be careful that we don't make our choices the way that the world does. Because God's word reveals to us the heart of this king, a heart that we wouldn't be able to see otherwise. The heart of a king who, although he's got all power and authority, comes in humility to serve. Although he's innocent, the one with the only true heart... He submits himself to death on a cross. He willingly dies for the people who reject him. 
It's seeing Jesus' heart that will soften our hearts uh, towards him, not looking at the outward appearance. So it's, it's worth saying, if you've never seriously engaged with what the Bible has to say about Jesus, that would be a great thing to do. Don't settle for mere appearances. You need God's word to reveal Jesus' heart to you. Uh, maybe come along to Christianity Explores on a Wednesday morning. Uh, fix and have a coffee with me. Let's have a look at this together. Engage. Engage brain. Engage with God's word. See what Jesus' heart is like. That is what will attract you to him, not appearances. Uh, there's a second aspect to the contrast here. Not only do we see superficially, as it were, from appearances, we also tend to see in quite a blinkered uh, way. We see out of very limited circumstances. Now, how does that affect how we see Jesus? Well, lots of people, they come to follow Jesus as their king in a way that seems to fit with their circumstances. a kind of quick fix, actually. At this time in my life, Jesus would be quite a good caretaker-manager. Uh, They're drawn to Jesus in the hope that he will uh, fix their life in some way. Sort out a problem, uh, heal them, uh, sort out their business, sort out their addiction, whatever it is. And then, after a little while, when their immediate circumstances perhaps don't change in the way that they'd hoped, they're left wondering whether or not Jesus actually is the king that they thought he is. They're left thinking, actually, maybe I should give up on him. Uh, Find a new way to go. A new king to look after me. See, it's worth just looking more broadly than our immediate circumstances at the promises of the gospel. The Christian life is wonderful. It's full of joy and peace. It brings purpose. There's all sorts that is brilliant about living in fellowship with God and fellowship with God's people. But it also brings suffering. We're promised that too. God doesn't wrap his people in bubble wrap. We don't walk six inches above the ground with no pain. Actually, we're promised there will be suffering. There will be people who oppose us because we're Christians who never opposed us before. There will be battles that we will be engaged in with sin that we never cared about when we weren't Christians. Becoming a Christian is not going to make your life easier in every way. It's not a quick fix. So it is. We need to see the Christian life in full perspective. Take the blinkers off and, and look more broadly. Uh, But as we draw to a close, let's have a look not so much as how we see uh, Jesus, but how God has seen Jesus and why that makes a difference. It's worth asking, why does God's word bother to remind us of all this stuff? Uh, Why are we reminded how God Jesus is king? Uh, 1 and 2 Samuel were written uh, and kind of finally sort of compiled, as it were, as as a book. Uh, probably around about 500 years after the events that we're reading about. Uh, so the, the first readers of this book uh, were probably in exile. Uh, 500 years have gone by, and so they're looking back to King David, they're looking back to the wonderful promises that God made, uh, that David would one day have a son who would uh, sit on the throne forever, who would bring peace and justice, and everything would be wonderful when he reigns. They're looking back on that and thinking, well, I can't see anything. I can't even see a king, much less uh, a king in David's line. What they see is stuff that happened a long, long time ago, far, far, far away. And they're thinking, can I really build my life on this? 
it would be easy for them to be thinking, if God had known then what we know now, surely he wouldn't have done that. Surely he wouldn't have chosen this David guy because his family is nowhere to be seen. And especially for them as they're living in exile, surrounded by people who live in a very different way, who believe very different things. It's hard for them to hold on to the promises of God about this son of David who's going to come. It's hard to keep trusting when their immediate circumstances scream something different. See, it matters that 1 Samuel 16 is a reminder that God chooses his king well. See those wonderful words, anoint him. He is the one, says God. That's an encouragement to God's people to keep going and keep trusting because God chooses well. They're a reminder for God's people that when God chose David, he did so out of his heart. He could see the heart of a boy tending sheep on the hills, but also he could see the exile. He could see all the realities that God's people would face through time that might lead them to doubt his choice. He could see it all. But out of the purposes of his heart, he chose David. He chooses well. See, the promises that God makes, they can be trusted. And that really is why it matters for us, because in a sense, we're in quite a similar situation to those first readers. Uh, We live as God's people today, uh, 2,000 years after Jesus uh, lived and died and rose again. Uh, God promised that King Jesus, David's uh, greatest son, would sit on a throne forever, and yet we can't see any sign of that. Uh, The stories of God's king, they might very well feel a long, long time ago, far, far, far away. And as we're surrounded by people who believe very different things and live in very different ways, we may well be thinking, really? Can I build my life on this? Those stories from back then? How can I keep trusting God's promises when my circumstances are so hard? Come with me to a day a long, long time ago, far, far away, when another king uh, was anointed. It's there at at the bottom, uh, Luke chapter 3. This is Jesus being anointed, being, if you like, uh, crowned, in a sense. Luke says, when all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily, uh, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So what's happening here, this is God the Father pointing to Jesus and saying, this is the one. It's God's Spirit reminding us this morning that in a sense, he knows it's been a while and it feels like a long time ago, a long way away. And he knows how easy it is for us to doubt God's promises at times when our circumstances make it look like that There's no way if God had known then what we know now, he would have done it this way. But God says, this is the one. This is the one. God's chosen man, if you like, for God's unchanging plan, God chooses well. 
Uh, just glance quickly at how he's chosen. Uh, Jesus is chosen out of God's heart. You're my son, he says. Uh, it's Psalm 2. Uh, this is the royal son who God had always promised would be the one who would reign over all people, over all nations forever. This is the one. It's the son whom I love, he says. It's uh, 2 Samuel 7, I printed that there as well. This is the king from David's family who God's love would remain on. He wouldn't reject him the way he rejected Saul. In other words, we're to understand this Jesus is not a a quick fix. It's not a choice driven by circumstances. It's not a choice made with a blinkered, finite amount of knowledge, not knowing what's to come for God's people. See, when God chose Jesus and anointed him, he saw the cross and resurrection. He saw his king bearing the sins of God's people. Uh, the plan had been made before creation. And it had never changed or been knocked off course. So when God chose out of his heart, he saw all of that. He saw our struggles with our health, with our sin, uh, with our circumstances of whatever kind. He saw all of that. He knew then what we know now. And he still chose Jesus. God chooses his king well. When God chose, he saw with eternity in view. Because his plans don't stop with us now. They continue through, not just to us, but to a vast people, countless millions gathered, made perfect in a perfect new creation. That's where God is going. That is what he's working towards. And he's chosen his man for that. To bring about that unchanging plan, he chooses well. Uh, When God chose, he chose uh, seeing Jesus' heart. With you I'm well pleased, he said. It's a quote from Isaiah 42. Uh, Jesus is the one in whom God delights. He will bring justice and rescue to the nations. The job that God's king was always supposed to do. He'll do that because he has a heart like God's own. That's why he's never going to be rejected. He will do his father's will. This king will never be rejected, which means his people will never be rejected. So there it is. When you and I are tempted to doubt God's promises, today, this week, this year, when we're tempted to give up on God, uh, not to live with eternity in view, not to see beyond our immediate circumstances and the appearances of our situations, when we're tempted to think, if God had only known then what I know now, he would have done things differently. This can't possibly be worth building my life on. We do need to remember how it is God chose his king. He doesn't do it superficially. He doesn't do it short term. He looked at Jesus' heart. He looked across the breadth of human history, the time that he holds in his hands, and he saw his chosen man for his unchanging plan. And God chooses well. And we pray. Heavenly Father, this all seems like a long time ago and far, far away. And yet, we know your word is given to us to do us good, uh, to point us to your son, our king. And so, Father, as we reflect on how you chose him, 
what it means for you to have chosen King Jesus 2,000 years ago with perfect and full information out of your heart, out of your perfect, sinless, wise, loving, gracious purposes. What it means for you to have seen his heart and know that you would never reject him for who he is. Pray, Father, that might give us confidence in a world that sees him very differently, uh, in a world that scorns him. Uh, Please, Father, would you enable us to build our lives on your promises about him, uh, knowing that you choose well. Amen.